Thank you, Adam. Um, that was beautiful worship. Uh, it just brought tears to my eyes. Speak, oh Lord, I don't know the song, but it just summarizes. I don't, I don't have to preach. I can't even just sing this like ten times. Well, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we begin. Dear God, we need you. Um, I need you. Lord, as uh, Joe prayed at the end of his Bible step, uh, Bible study, we hunger and thirst for you, whether we know it or not. Come we, meet us this, this afternoon. Fill our hunger, our thirst. Satisfy us, Lord. You're the only one who can do that. Reveal yourself to us in your word. Give us your wisdom so we can understand your word, Lord. And Lord, hide me so that you may be glorified, so that we can see you to the fullest and give us your understanding. We thank you for your son who gave us life. And Lord, help us not to go back to our sinful ways, but to live out what you have called us as citizens of heaven here on earth. And we thank you for your promises and your gift to us. As we come before you, Lord, help us to lay down everything, the sins that we've committed knowingly and also unknowingly. Help us to come with a clean slate, pay by the way, by our Savior. We rest on you, Lord. Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the uh, title of uh, this uh, week's sermon is The Outward Manifestations of New Christ, New Life in Christ. Um, and the passage is from Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let, us, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for a members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Last week, uh, Pastor Jake uh, gave us the word uh, on Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, and we learned that we have been transformed from the life of death, from the life of sin, um, into life, a spiritual life, that is everlasting life, and the reunion that we have with the Father, paid by the work that was on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 22 and 23 say, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on a new self, created after the likeness of God, in the true righteousness and holiness. As God's chosen people, we have been cleansed by the blood that was shed on the cross, by the sinless lamb 
And as a result, the Bible tells us, this is God's word, not my word, that we have been set apart, that we are holy. God's word tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, that is God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's from First Peter 2. This is a new identity that, was, that we must put on. That's what Paul's telling us this week. In this week's passage, we come to the therefore in verse 25, where Apostle Paul gives us the exhortation and practical instructions on what our transformed lives in Christ look like. And more importantly, how they build the body of Christ, that is us. Um, they were gathered here. And Christ is the head of this body. Because God has made us heirs of his kingdom, he has given us heavenly citizenship through Jesus. Our response is to give him all the glory by praising him, by loving him, and by loving our neighbors. The takeaway message, if you don't remember anything <laughs> from this passage, is that God is commanding us to shift our eyes from ourselves toward God himself and to our neighbors for the benefit and the building of the body of believers in Christ. My brothers and sisters, God has equipped us with many blessings and that he wants us now to be a blessing to the body of believers. And we have the ultimate model in Jesus as he watched from the washing of the disciples' feet to the agony, his agony on the cross. As many of you guys know, as we have interacted during uh, fellowship time, I was born in South Korea, and our family immigrated to this country when I was nine years old. Uh, so while growing up in Korea, I learned the Korean customs and cultures. I learned to speak Korean. I ate Korean food uh, and practiced Korean traditions. So for example, like uh, when we greet um, the elderly, we would bow and the more elder the person is, you bow more and, and <laughs> make a 90 degrees, right? And uh, back then, they didn't allow uh, folks to write with left hand. I'm left-handed. And I didn't realize I was left-handed until I picked up a pencil and I started writing with my left hand. And then my aunt got a, a meter stick. Um, those of you who don't know what a meter stick looks like, it's a yardstick. <laughs> and whap! And that was the last time I picked up a pencil with my left hand. Uh, but anyhow, uh, in the early 1980s, uh, our family immigrated to the States, and I had to start all over again. I had to learn how to speak English and took classes uh, in ESL, or English as Second Language. I think Joe's teaching ESL classes now with uh, the foreign visitors in Rochester. And my first movie ever in my life was the uh, classic American musical, Singing in the Rain. Man, what a beautiful movie. And Joanna, I had to like show it to Joanna. And, and the part where uh, uh, Jean uh, does that, that scene with the, the rain and, and singing that Singing in the Rain song is what a wonderful movie. And I also recall my first ever camping trip. It was uh, in sixth grade. And at the first day we got there, 
um, they said, oh, tonight we're going to have macaroni and cheese. And all the kids were like, yay, macaroni and cheese. And I was like, what is that? Uh, but I got excited because everybody else was excited. And then we got in the line and, and I tasted it and I was like, hmm, this is something I need to get used to. So, but, but now I, I'm developing a, a, a taste for it, right? So in these ways, I first experienced American culture from the, uh, outside in as an immigrant in a foreign land. Um, however, the official transformation came in the early 2000s on the day of the naturalization when I was sworn in as a U.S. citizen. So this took place 20 plus years after arriving to the U.S. And on that day, the authorities of the U.S. government declared that I was a citizen in every level. And I can finally experience the American culture from inside out, so to speak. I had the rights now to vote at, a, uh, at the presidential elections, and I can travel with a U.S. Tra- passport. For some reason, why I always envied the U.S. passport, <laughs> and, and when I had that, I was like, "Wow, this is a great, great treasure. Uh, I can I can show it to you know different as I travel to different parts of the country, uh, different parts of the world. I can show my U.S. passport, and as I get older, I can look forward to collecting Social Security, right? <laughs> In the same way." The spiritual status of believers in Christ is forever changed because we have been declared as citizens of heaven by the Almighty Father. We have a new life and a new identity that manifests itself in a very real and practical ways. This analogy is not a perfect illustration of the spiritual transformation and the heavenly citizenship that we have in Jesus because in the earthly citizenship, there merits that are involved. First of all, it's not given freely to those who ask for it. I had to meet certain criteria before I could even apply for U.S. citizenship. And second, I had to pass an oral interview examination. Um, In contrast, the citizenship in God's kingdom is freely given to us because of the merit of Jesus Christ alone. We are reminded in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Despite the limitations of this analogy, it does point in a small way to our amazing new identity as a citizens of heaven and children of God. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are made spiritually alive. A spiritual operation of the heart and mind, manifested by the outward expression consistent with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who dwells in us to ultimately glorify the Father. What an awesome, awesome privilege it is uh, for us to know him and to make him known to those around us. As we just studied in in missions work with Joe, uh, who need to hear the gospel and enter into his presence through our Lord Jesus. The biblical transformation is dramatically different from anything from this world can offer. We're going from eternal punishment to receiving forgiveness and inheritance in God's kingdom. We were once dead, but made alive in Christ. We, we were like a flat line on EKG, right? But now we have a sinus rhythm, a beautiful rhythm on the EKG. And, and this is just a wonderful thing. In today's passage from Ephesians, Paul gives us 
the do-nots and do's. But don't get me wrong, this, this is not a legalism. Instead, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, transforming us into the image of Christ, so that our lives on earth match our identity as citizens of heaven. It's already given to us. We have it. As Apostle Paul states in Philippians 3.16, with God's help, we live up to what we have already obtained in Christ. The exhortations in today's passage are therefore a demonstration of our freedom in Christ to escape from sin and to live righteous lives as we look to him. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, in the process of beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Last week, uh, Pastor Jake contrasted the vast difference between the life before and the life after Christ. And Paul describes his spiritual transformation and contrasts the old self with the new self in verse 22. The old self is full of deceit and lies, which ultimately lead to death. The ultimate goal of the old self is to glorify itself, whereas the new life seeks to glorify God. The new self is created after the likeness of God in true, true righteousness and holiness. So let's go back to our passage today from Ephesians 4, starting from verse 25. Paul contrasts the do's and don'ts. That's don't do what the old self desires. Instead, do what is consistent with the new life we have in Christ. Here are the don'ts. In verse 25, put away falsehood. Verse 26, do not sin in anger. 28, do not steal. 29, do not engage in corrupt talking. And 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The common theme in the don'ts is that each and every one of these things points to the glorification of the old self instead of building up the Christ, body of Christ. Self-glorification not only leads to death, but also is associated with the cost of harming the body of Christ and grieving the Holy Spirit himself. So let's see the first don't in verse 25, put away falsehood. The heart of deception is to glorify oneself instead of God. It is to try to save oneself through lies instead of relying on the truth found in Christ. When a person tries to save himself through deception, he mimics and resembles Satan, who is the father of lies. Those who glorify themselves instead of God do so to their own destruction. And this alternative salvation is shown to be tragically false. Actually, it's no salvation. In Acts 5, we read the story of a husband and wife. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. We're told that the couple sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price, whatever it was, with their full knowledge. After they sold the property, they had the right to keep whatever they wanted. It's theirs to begin with. But but they sinned when they chose to deceive the body of believers and God by making it appear like they had given it all. Through their false statement, they were stealing the glory which was due unto God. The couple's intention was to be recognized as holy and righteous among the believers through deception and ultimately to glorify themselves instead of God. 
And we know the end result. The end result of their deception was death. The outward expressions of our thoughts and actions align with the desires of our heart. Luke 6.45 states, Good man, out of good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth, for his mouth speaks from that which, he, which fills his heart. Second don't is, comes from uh, verse 20, 26. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The unrighteous anger often stems from judging, boasting, comparing ourselves with those around us. In a word, it's rooted in pride. We are reminded in James 4, verses 1 through 3, what causes quarrels or fights among you? It is not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You, you ask, but not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In Ephesians 4.27, commands us to give no opportunity to the devil. And the way we are to do this is refusing to allow anger to take root in our hearts over a passage of time. If we let the anger stew in us, we can self-justify in a wrong way and cause our hearts to get calloused. A person might think this timing issue is unnecessary nuance, but the reasoning that there is no difference between uh, resolving disputes within a day versus a week or a month. However, the wisdom of God in this command, there's wisdom in this God in this command because he knows the weakness of our hearts. Sin is like a cancer cell. For those who don't know me, I'm an I'm a oncologist, so we're going to use some analogies from cancer and what I do. And, and cancer cells are deviation from the norm. They're not normal cells. They're cancer because they grow abnormally. And this is deviation from what, what God had intended prior to the fall. Just like a cancer cell is a deviation from the norm, sin is a lethal, no matter how small it may appear, because it is a deviation from God's standard. Both sin and cancer has a capacity to multiply uncontrollably. I told my patients that sometimes surgery, radiation therapy, chemotherapy, combination, all of them may be necessary because it only takes one, just one cell, one tiny cell, to open up the possibility of cancer recurrence, which can lead to metastasis and death. In the same way, even small instances of anger must be taken seriously and dealt with immediately uh, before the small cell of unrighteous anger begins to multiply. In essence, uh, when we sin through anger, we're not trusting God. We are instead thinking that whatever he has in store for us is not good enough. We think that we know better, and it will go on our way to satisfy the desires of our flesh and fall into Satan's lies. And just like cancer starts to grow in one organ or one part of the body that metastasizes the other part of the body, sin 
can affect not only the person who commits it, but also can hurt and metastasize to other members in the body of Christ. The third don't comes from verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. You know, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus uh, 20.15, you shall not steal. Stealing is another manifestation of not trusting in the Lord, acting as though his provisions are insufficient and that we need to harm others in order to obtain what we need. Uh, To quote John Piper, stealing is a failure to believe the promise in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. The fourth don't is in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting talk takes many forms. A person can seek to magnify himself by destroying the reputation of others through gossiping and slander, or he can seek to gain an advantage by artificially inflating someone's self-image through flattery. In James 3, it says that no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pound yield fresh water. Again, the analogy of cancer somatosizing um, to have a negative impact on the body of Christ is shown here as well. Lastly, the fifth don't is um, in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. To grieve, in other words, is to sadden, upset, distress, pain, hurt, break someone's heart, or even, uh, it says here, make someone's heart bleed. We can only grieve someone who cares for us, who loves us. The Bible is very clear that God is love. His, man, his love manifest, manifested in his son Jesus, who demonstrated God's love for us by being an atonement for our sin. We learn in 1 John that we love because he first loved us. We grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells within us by reverting back to our old self and its manifestations of falsehood, righteous, unrighteous anger, stealing, corrupt talk, that not only leads us to sin and self-destruction, but also, most grievously, tear down the body of Christ. And this, this is the heart of our Savior, of my Savior, of your Savior. Jesus was already in unimaginable distress as he knew the price he had to pay on the cross. He also knew Peter, one of his very own disciple, who intimately followed him for the three years of ministry on earth, would flat out disown him three times. This must have grieved Jesus' heart. Despite this foreknowledge, Jesus states in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, but that he might sift you like wheat, and you here is you as plural. But I pray for you, and you here is singular, 
Peter, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you, Peter, have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter grieved Christ deeply. But he was ultimately restored so that he could strengthen the body of Christ. My brothers and sisters, this, this is a God in whom we put our faith and our trust. We have assurance in that when we stumble and grieve the Holy Spirit, we can be encouraged because our Savior is praying for us. This is to be us to become humility in response so that we repent and receive God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness, which was made possible by our Savior Jesus. So instead of displaying these five negative behaviors and attitudes, we're called to build up the body of Christ by speaking the truth, examine our anger thoroughly and carefully, exercising only righteous anger, and I'd like to come back to this topic in a short little bit, working honestly and sharing with those in need, building up the body in our conversations, and being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. So let's look at the do's now. And the first do is going back to verse 25. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The cross-reference for this section is from Zechariah, chapter 18, verses 16 and 17. These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. We are to speak the truth because it is an expression of the very nature of God. It is an expression of the very nature of God, the truth. God says that he hates falsehood because we have our eyes on the end result, which is peace. Lies produce chaos. Truth makes for peace. Our obedience to, our obedience to God results in our being a blessing to others because we help to bring the Lord's peace into their lives. It is so encouraging that in verse 13, just prior to this passage in Zechariah, God says, O house of Judah, and house of Israel. So will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Here we see an example of the beautiful unity of scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. As God says in the Old Testament passage, that our salvation manifests itself in our being a blessing to others. He says in Ephesians 4, that our salvation manifests itself in our building up of the body of Christ. That is, we're saved in order to be blessing to others. Second do is, verse 26, be angry. This may seem surprising at first when we are told to be angry, but this verse makes sense if we probe, probe this a bit more deeply into why we're told to be angry and do not sin. The cross-reference in the Old Testament is from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, on your beds, and be silent. In other words, in quietness, search and study your heart and mind. There's a parallel structure here again. 
in the Ephesians, be angry, aligns with ponder in your hearts, on your beds, in Psalm. And do not sin, from Ephesians, aligns with be silent. Be angry is translated sometimes as be agitated or tremble. I think the sense here is not that we, sh- we would stew in our anger in our beds, but instead we would use the quiet hours to search, test, and examine our hearts at the deepest level, looking for the roots, looking for the roots of our anger. We are to follow Luke 6.41 and take the logs out of our own eyes. And we're to obey James 1.19 and be quick to listen and slow to speak and to become angry. When the scripture says be angry, it is important to know that there's both unrighteous anger, which is the old self, and which is the more, most common type, and the righteous anger from the new self. Anger is a bit like an endocrine system in that it can both help and harm us. An oversurge of epinephrine, adrenaline, can save us when we see a bear. But it's also when it's associated with unrighteous rage, that can turn, lead into harmful speech and or actions towards others. Therefore, we need to be vigilant, my brothers and sisters, about examining our motives and beliefs underlying our anger, as not all responses are beneficial to our own physical bodies, to our intermediate neighbors, and the larger body of believers. Righteous anger, on the other hand, as demonstrated by Jesus at the temple towards the vendors who made the holy place into a marketplace, has a role in certain situations. Today, we might feel righteous anger over injustice to the poor and the needy, over abortion, which takes life away from a helpless human being, or abuseness in the form of human trafficking. Going back to Psalm 4.4, teaches us the righteous anger is controlled. It's passionate at times, yes, but never destructive. Righteous anger seeks to protect, to bless, and not to destroy. Righteous anger is loving and restorative in its motivation and focus. The third do is in verse 28, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Apostle Paul was an honest worker. In Acts 18.3, we read that Paul was a tent maker. He was also a full-time missionary, accepted offerings, but also set an example as an honest worker, as a tent maker. And in Acts 6, the Bible is clear about the importance of, of helping the needy. When the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily food distribution, the disciples chose seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, to serve them. Similarly, in James 2, it is written, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
We must labor with integrity in order to have enough to give to others. The fourth do is uh, verse 29, that we should speak only such as is good for building up, fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This is a wonderful description of what it means to speak and speak the truth in love. As we have learned about the sermon on Ephesians 4.15. Our words must edify the body of Christ, helping the believers we counter to be stronger in their faith. In Ephesians 4.29, describes two ways to do this. Number one is as fits occasion, and the second is in the way it gives grace. So as it fits occasion, I take this to mean that the context is important. We are to seek to know one another well. And we do that very well here. When we have fellowship time, we sit with different people and talk about our lives. And we see the spiritual, emotional, and physical conditions of those with whom we interact and to find the best words with which to encourage them. Of course, especially given the context of the rest of Ephesians 4, this does not mean compromising the truth in order to fit into a particular crowd or particular uh, certain circumstances. It simply means that our words should show that we are more focused on the glory of God and the needs of others than on ourselves. Apostle Paul demonstrated this uh, when he said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might, I might save some. And the second part, in a way that will give grace. A wonderful picture of what this means to give grace through our speech can be found in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of the Lord is grace to us. We study it. We allow it to take root and flourish in our hearts and to overflow in our conversations with others. It helps them to persevere in faith. Hebrews 3.13 tells us to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The last and fifth do is in verse uh, 31, starting from 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all, with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. These verses show us once again that our new life is entirely rooted in what God has already done for us in Christ. We can be kind. We can be forgiven, forgiving because we have first received God's gracious kind and forgiveness. As we read Colossians 2.14, Christ's sacrifice succeeded in canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. Since we have been spared the devastating curse of sin by God's grace, we too must spare others through the forgiveness in Christian charity. So we come to the application. We want to behold Christ in the scriptures and build up the body of Christ. Speak the truth. Examine our anger. Be generous with our time and efforts and resources. 
to provide for the needs of the saints, edify others with our speech, and seek to please the Holy Spirit by being merciful and forgiving to others as God has been to us. And here's the bottom line. So if you don't remember anything, here it is. Gospel takes the attention away from us, redirecting our focus to God and to our neighbors in order to build up the body of Christ. By doing so, Christ enables us to fulfill the great commandment in Matthew 22, 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Dear God, you have given us so much. You have given us your one and only Son, Jesus. We thank you for your Son, his willingness to die on the cross, to live a perfect life and be that perfect Lamb of sacrifice, to bear all our sins, so, we'll be cleansed, so that we are cleansed from our unrighteousness and have this wonderful relationship with you. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit who dwell in us. Lord, we pray that you would hide ourselves so that you may be manifested in our lives, our actions, our speech, our thoughts, that others may see. See you, that is, Lord. See you in our lives, whether it be non-believers or believers, and to draw the non-believers to yourself and to strengthen the body of believers, Lord. We thank you for your word today. May we meditate upon it and uh, draw strength and grow from your word, Lord. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.